Thank you for tuning in to the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Jaworski. The Recovery Executive Podcast is the only podcast geared towards center owners, executives, and directors in the field of addiction, treatment, and behavioral health. Our podcast is brought to you by Circle Social Inc., experts in growth for addiction treatment centers. They specialize in marketing and operational solutions to help your center grow in a scalable, ethical way. Today, we have a very exciting episode. We have Drew Rothermel on. He is one of the leaders in the addiction treatment space, um, being a previous president and SEO of the Florida area for care and treatment centers, and then being the CEO for Origins after that. And then most recently, he's taken on a role as CEO at Liberation Way uh, up in the Northeast in the Philadelphia area. So he is a veteran of the field. He has a vast amount of experience running very large organizations, very well-respected organizations. And so he has a lot of great insights into what needs to be done, both from a kind of an operational efficiency standpoint, as well as staffing, marketing, you know, how to survive the current mergers and acquisitions environment and investments that are coming in and the different trends um, changing in the field. It was really enlightening to kind of listen to him talk about, I think what I would say is a different perspective, a much larger perspective than some people are used to in the treatment space where we're running one center or two centers, you know, maybe 10 beds here, 60 beds there. You know, he's got experience running massive amounts of beds and the operational efficiencies required to do that are above and beyond what most people are familiar with. And so how can you take his knowledge and use it to benefit your own center and your own organization. And at the end, we talk about some of the benchmarks that he looks for and what his KPIs or his key performance indicators are to make sure that his center is running as the best that it can to help both patients, but also be a profitable business. So excellent information. Really excited to share this with you guys. Let's jump in. Hey, Drew, really appreciate you coming on the show. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I know things are super busy over there. I know you've got a lot going on. So it's an honor to have you on. Uh, I know you have a ton of experience in this field. So I'm very, very excited for some of the information that you could be able to share with our listeners. Happy to happy to be on. Sure. So you've got a really long career in the recovery space. You know, you've worked in executive roles for some of the largest providers such as Karen and Origins. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Um, yeah, I've, I've been in the, uh, I've been working in the addiction, uh, treatment, uh, field in leadership roles for, um, better part of two decades now. Um, and I, I've really had a, a wide exposure to, um, um, many of the different functions within the organizations and, um, and then also, you know, different, different geographies around the United States, um, and, uh, and, you know, somewhat, uh, as far as, uh, modalities of treatment. So, um, it's been, um, it's been very interesting to have, um, sort of the, the, you know, front seat view in, in those organizations, um, you know, over a period of time where there's been a, a fair amount of change, um, in the field. For sure. Was there something particular that drew you to the recovery space or did you just kind of end up there in some respects? Um, you know, I, I have like like a lot of people in in um, in the uh, recovery space. I've you know I've got my own my own personal journey, um, but I uh, I you know had had a lot of varied business um, experience, business and professional experience 
prior to get into it, getting into it. So, you know, I definitely have the 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 personal experience, which um, you know draws me to it, and um, and also you know creates a, a a real passion for it. But um, you know, additionally, just having um, you know a variety of different you know di- experience in different industries. Um, you know, I think I come at it from a slightly different viewpoint than you know, the person that finds recovery and then, you know, goes to work in the clinical world and, and, and gets into it that way. I mean, I, you know, have, you know, come in, come at it from law, finance, operations, um, compliance, that, that, that end of it. It's really interesting. I think I definitely want to explore that a bit further. You know, my experience has been a little bit similar. Um, I went through obviously my own recovery journey, a number of years ago, and I worked in a variety of industries. A lot of it was education, but got into the sales, the marketing, the finance, the compliance, the HR, uh, before really going full bore into the recovery space, you know, with my current company. And I find that I approach it very differently than a lot of people that have kind of just been in the space or come up from like recovery to work in it or clinical um, to move into a management role. It's interesting to hear you say that. You mentioned that You've seen a ton of changes in the field, obviously, over the years. Uh, what would you say are the most relevant changes happening right now in the space for center leadership? Well, I, I think um, I, I think that the the problem's not going away, and in fact, it's intensifying. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that is that the the definitely a driving force. The Opioid epidemic um, is is front and center in news, politics, education, the workplace, everything, um, which you know gives us a lot a, um, a louder voice, but it also um, creates a, a you know, greater level of, of scrutiny. Um, so I think th- that's that's kind of the the current pressure. Um, when you look look back over. Um, you know, kind of the early 2000s going forward. Um, you know, the 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 mid 90s were was not a good good time for treatment. Um, you know, the, it just it became very confusing and difficult to get paid for treatment services. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at you know the the advent of the of the the Parity Act, um, Obamacare, um, you know those um those things created um created funding for treatment that that didn't exist um you know you then you also have to couple that with um you know the influx of um uh investment capital in the space has, has has caused um some significant changes um so it's you know it's uh you know, the good news is that with the uh, influx of, of additional funds in the space from both, um, uh, you know, financial sources and, and also um, from payers, um, a lot of additional treatment beds have been created, um, which, which is good because the, 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 um, the unmet need was significant. It's still there. Um, but when you look at um, all of the treatment beds that um, have been um, created 
you know, during the last decade, it certainly um, uh, goes a long way towards meeting the, meeting the need. You know, I agree that the opioid epidemic in particular, at least as it's pushed out within the media and political spheres, has been kind of a boon to the field in a lot of respects because it brings a lot of attention. It raises a lot of awareness that wasn't there. Um, maybe people are even more willing to seek out treatment. But at the same time, I think we all know in the space, too, that, you know, alcohol is still huge. You know, other drugs and cross, um, you know, behavioral disorders, you know, they're all still having major effects. From a business standpoint, you know, what do you think is the best way to kind of capitalize on the heightened awareness that's occurring right now around the opioid epidemic? Um, the, 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 the way I see it, the, um, the heightened awareness is a good thing in that, um, you know, pre, um, pre opioid epidemic really, you know, making it into the news, um, you would talk to business leaders or you talk to politicians or, or, you know, community leaders and privately, they would say to you, boy, you know, I'm really, I, I love what you're doing. It's great that you're helping people, um, you know, keep up the good work. And then you'd say, well, can, are you willing to speak out on behalf of, of, of the cause? And, you know, the answer a lot of times is, well, can't really do that because of other considerations, but, but privately, I'm, I'm really behind you. Um, and what's happened is, you know, we're now in an environment where um, if you're a politician, you can't, you can't, um, you can't have a anti-treatment stance. You can't really bury your head in the sand. You have to have some level of um, pro, uh, pro-treatment um, stance in your, in your, in your campaign platform. Um, you know, to to ignore it or deny it is is really, uh, you know, probably not not an option or or, or is not a, a good political option at this point. Sure. So you mean you know? Do you think for treatment centers, like for me personally, like whenever I go to D.C., I always make sure to stop in and, and visit with our representatives and our senators um, for our state here in Indiana. And I found that they're a lot more receptive than they were, you know, a number of years ago. This is, seems to be a pretty pressing issue for constituents. Um, also, Absolutely. I mean, I think from a PR standpoint, it's a lot easier to maybe help get your center into the news around some of these issues. So, you know, do you ever see the centers that you're working with or managing? Um, do you kind of work to get them more involved, either from like a press standpoint or a political legislative standpoint around these issues? Um, you know, somewhat, I, I think though that, um, there's, um, there's, there's a large movement right now for, um, advocacy for the cause ad, advocacy for treatment resources. And I think that as a, um, as a provider of treatment, uh, treatment, re, uh, treatment services, I've, I've been very clear that, you know, our job is, is to help, is to help people. Our job is to help more people as efficiently as possible. Right. And, um, you know, it's really easy to get distracted 
um, with the advocacy work and the PR work. And I, you know, I've always told our, our folks that, you know, from a litmus standpoint, from a litmus test standpoint, you know, if, if, is going, if, you know, there's no shortage of groups you can go out and talk to. Is that going to help, um, help get people, you know, treatment immediately, or are we going to get, um, get bogged down in a public policy debate? I mean, there are plenty of people that are, you know, more than willing and capable to go out and have the public policy um, conversation. The, the scarce, in, in my opinion, the scarce resource in this field is people that know that know how to run treatment centers and manage clinical teams. Hmm. That's that's the scarce resource, and it is not the um, most efficient and effective use of um, those individuals' time to be, you know, out speaking on public policy. That's just my opinion. Sure. Well, it's really interesting. So. You know, I would agree that there's definitely a scarcity of people that have um, a strong knowledge of running a really operationally efficient center that also kind of focuses on that clinical excellence. You know, why do you think it's a challenge to find talent in that regard? Um, they're just they're they're this has been such a fragmented field for so long. Um, there just aren't a lot of um, uh, there aren't a lot of larger organizations, larger organizations, and they're they don't um, they don't train folks to do this work. So, you know, the number of people who actually have the experience is is a lot smaller than um, than what we need. I mean, I, I I sometimes joke with the advocates. You know, sometimes I sometimes I hope. Um, the politicians give you exactly what you want, which is, you know, you know, sort of unlimited funding for treatment. Um, but the problem then is going to be, there's no one to deliver those services. Hmm. So kind of for listeners out there, a lot of them uh, are owners or executives or directors in the treatment space. And obviously they're looking for ways to improve their center or improve their operations. You know, what are some key gaps that you see that, you know, people should try to focus on to get better in this area? Um, and what are maybe some resources or ways to do that? Um, I, I think that uh, the, the traditional path um, to starting a um, starting a, a treatment center is is you know ninety percent of the time been someone who's you know very interested in the in the clinical work um, thinks they have a you know a, a better way to do that the clinical work and and sets off to do it and they probably are you know talented clinicians. They're, they're probably a talented clinician. They, 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 they're deeply passionate about, about the work um, and they really want to help people. And then they, they start it and they do help a lot of people. Um, the challenge becomes um, when, you, when you get into this, this business through that lens, um, a lot of the support functions um, that become really critical as you grow uh, don't um, don't receive the focus and attention um, that they need to to um, make sure that um, 
that you really have a, a high quality um, organization. I mean, I, I'm a firm believer in the concept of, you know, we should be judged based upon the worst job we do as a pay, as, do with a patient. So, um, you know, it's the, the patient that slips through the cracks should be the one that we're, we're, ju we're judged, judged about, uh, upon. So, you know, a system where you have all the checks and balances in place to make sure that when a patient slips through the cracks, the, the, uh, the clinical supervisor, you know, figures it out quickly, addresses the problem and, and gets them back on track. Like that's to me, the, the sign of, um, of a, of a strong organization. Hmm, okay. So, you know, it's interesting because one of the exact reasons that I ended up starting this podcast was I saw the same thing. There was a huge need for the business and operations end, and I think advice out there that just doesn't seem to exist very readily. You can find a ton of information, tons of conferences, all that kind of stuff around, you know, clinic, clinical work, recovery, you know, how to do different therapies and modalities. Well, there's just very little around the actual business management where, you know, as I go in and out of centers across the country, I see strong needs and big gaps all the time. You know, whether it's call centers or, you know, your clinical director and their communication with the executive team or the admissions team or the sales team um, just across the board. So obviously you've come from a background where you've had all these different business experiences that have probably helped you build that knowledge and that experience that other people might not have. If they're looking to get that in this space, you know, do you have places where you recommend that they could go to find that information or to learn some of these skills? Um, you know, I, I think that I think for a um, you know someone that's that's starting their career in in addiction treatment or um, or you know starting a career in addiction treatment or you know it's kind of is is older, but is making it a career change. Um, I, you know, I really think it's um, the, the best, the, the easiest path is to go to work for a small place that is, that really needs you. Um, and, uh, but, but that's not the path that's going to help you build a career. Um, you're going to work for one of the, you know, larger, um, treatment organizations is where you're going to get the experience. Um, you know, the, the larger, when you look at, when you look at who, um, you know, who, who has meaningful roles within the industry at this point, it's mostly people who have, you know, come out of the, the larger systems, whether they're for-profit, not-for-profit, but they've, they've seen and they've seen and been part of, of, um, of operating, um, these facilities at scale, you know, not, not two six bed houses. Um, uh, but you know, where, where you're treating, you know, hundred, 150 patients, you have all the, um, support functions in place, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, it compliance, quality improvement, a good, uh, human resources function, um, you know, true clinical oversight and clinical supervision, um, and even better, um, you know, an organization that has, that is, that is running, um, multi-state, multi running multiple, multiple sites in, in, in two or more states. 
um, you know, those are the, you know, if if an organization is is doing that, um, um, you know, that's where you're really going to learn the business. So what if, I mean, like a lot of um, directors, you know, they're, they're already a director of maybe it's a 10-bed center, maybe it's a 30-bed center, sometimes they're even as big as 60 beds, um, but then they, they don't have these skill sets, right? So they've been able to make it um, just kind of by high reimbursements and low competition and, and maybe strong referral relationships for a long time that they've built up over the years. You know, but now they're in this position where lots of people are moving in network, your reimbursements are being cut regardless, there's a high level of competition, and so you don't have the, the margins and the profit that you did. You know, censuses across the board, or a lot of them are getting pretty low these days um, for all of those reasons, bad press being another one. You know, so I'm uh, a director or an owner kind of in this position, you know, where would I go or how would I seek out more knowledge or more experience to, you know, kind of take my center to the next level? Well, I think the, if there, there's no, um, there's no conference or educational system that seems to be, um, you know, the, the, the ultimate solution for that. I, I do think that, um, uh, C4's access conference is the, is the closest thing to, a place where you know people who um, run treatment operations can 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 get meaningful non-clinical um, help. But the good news is, I think that um, I think that most people who do this work are very passionate about it. And at the end of the day, um, you know, we know that the the this. Um, this need is never going to get met unless you know more people get 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 um, get more highly skilled in in, in their roles. Um, and I think I think you know reaching out for for mentorship is is um, is probably the best the best path. You know make make uh, make friends um, in the in the uh, in the industry with. Um, with people who do work and work for facilities that you, you want to emulate and, um, you know, ask for help, ask for guidance, uh, have someone to, to call and bounce ideas off of. I mean, that. Yeah. I, I mean, my own life, you know, that's why I've always found to be the most helpful is, you know, connecting with people that are at the level above you, right. Not connecting with people right. where you are, but say, okay, who's doing where I want to be. And uh -huh. what value can I give to them and then build that relationship over time? And it's just been immensely helpful uh, on my end as well. Uh, I would definitely second the C4 conference as well. You know, I just had Dee McGraw on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago and, you know, they, they do a great job. I think they are one of the few options out there for kind of the more business end functions of things, at least that access conference, you know, I would love to see that continue right. to grow. Um, you mentioned, for a little bit about some of the trends coming into the field and you know kind of the mergers and acquisitions that are happening a lot can you talk a little bit about that because i know that's confusing for a lot of the smaller center owners they kind of feel like they're going to get swallowed up they're not sure what to do you know what does this mean for most centers and what should they be doing if anything to kind of prepare themselves for this continuing trend well i i i, I don't think that 
I mean, smaller centers that don't want to be swallowed up don't need to be. I mean, they, they can continue to operate <clears throat> operate as they are. Um, you know, this is a uh, from a um, investor standpoint, this is a very attractive <clears throat> field. Um, you know, the uh, the 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 problem is there. It's well documented. It's not going away. Societally, we need to deal with it. Um, so there, are, you know, there, that there, the the demand, you know, just from a basic business standpoint, the demand is there. It's not going away. Um, secondly, um, with the the fragmentation and inefficiencies in the way we, as a as a group. Um, attack the problem are so significant that there's um, there's there's a ton of opportunity for consolidation, um, which will you know as as the um, as the field is forced to become more efficient, um, you know we become better at at meeting the need at a lower societal cost. Mm. From your perspective, um, what would you say? But, like, but, oh, go ahead. But you know, just the the that greater efficiency though is uh, is a threat to the inefficient mom and pop facility. Mm -hmm. I mean that that's um, you know um, the you know I, I think there are um, you know sort of there, there's there there in you know, in the last two decades, at least, there's there's always been a spot for, um, folk. You know, there there always been you know jobs available in the in the field for, um, um, you know, for you know, people in recovery that want to work in treatment but are not, you know, particularly have have any any specific training, business or clinical. Um, but you know, it's just been been great to have those folks around and those are the kind of the those are the positions that end up um getting getting squeezed um you know the kind of the best um explanation that that i received you know um, 10 10 15 years ago was from a you know highly experienced operator of a of a um a treatment program out of chicago and you know he said he said you know I I'm in recovery personally and that, and because of that, I'm intensely interested in this work, but that does not qualify me to work in this field. I'm, I'm qualified because I've got very strong business skills. Mm. Um, and, you know, the, you know, sort of the, the days, the, the litmus test of, you know, all, we need, all, all, all our staff needs to be in recovery. Well, you know, that I, I think, you know, some of that's, um, some of that's going by the wayside. Yeah. Well, I think like in any business, it's always important to diversify your talent, right? Because people right. within the space, um, have certain insights that are valuable, but people outside the space also have very valuable insights that yep. need to be brought together. So, well, and, and also I think just bringing new, um, uh, bringing, you know, well-tested, business principles from other areas of business and, to, and, and other areas of healthcare into 
our our business is um, is very important. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned these inefficiencies that you're seeing. You know, again, if I'm a, a current owner of a director, you know, what would you say are the top two or three inefficiencies I should be looking at to make sure that I don't have them? <laughs> or need to well, I mean, I, I think I think the the big inefficiencies are are size. Um, you know, it, you can um, you know two separate forty bed facilities need an executive director, a clinical director, medical director. Um, if you combine those facilities, you have an 80 bed facility, you don't need all that, you don't, you don't need all that um, uh, high price staff. Um, so those are, you know, th those just you know, kind of um, basic M&A um, principles. Um, and I think that, you know, I think that Smaller facilities end up outsourcing a lot of functions at a at a at sort of a, a higher cost and lower effectiveness. And, and as you grow, um, you can afford to bring those functions in house, um, you know, at a, at a lower cost and 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 more efficiently. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And then I see a, a trend towards a longer continuum of care within the same organization. You know, are you seeing that as well? And, you know, again, kind of related to the MIA piece, would you recommend that centers start trying to build out their continuums of care? Well, I think the, the one, um, the, the one development that is, that is readily apparent to me is, you know, for a, for a long time, um, you know, in, in the, uh, substance use disorder world we've we've sat kind of in the background of hair of healthcare with our hands up saying hey you know treat us treat if this is a disease treat us like you know treat us like we're treating a disease it's a it's a chronic illness you know um give us the same credit that um you know other other specialties that treat chronic illness you know get um but at the same time we were trying to do that with episodic care and um and our kind of you know um sole measuring stick was okay how much how uh, what percentage of your patients were sober after one year hmm. um so there's that that that's a mixed message um and i think that um you know with the realities of the opioid epidemic setting in and, and, you know, I have not, I had, uh, you know, before the last couple of months in my, my time with liberation way, I hadn't spent a ton of time in the Northeast and, um, you know, getting, getting a, a, a sense of the, of really how, how much worse it is here than in, in other parts of the country. And what's interesting is that, um, you know, parents, no longer seem to be of the mindset of, uh, or uh, okay, I need to find the the, the treatment center that's going to fix my kid, and and then then we'll move on. You know, the the message that parents are getting from other parents is, okay, your your kid's an opioid addict. Um, you've got a long road ahead of you. You've got probably four or five treatment episodes under uh, over the next two or three years, and 
you know, hopefully, um, hopefully during that period of time, this works and your kid is safe. Um, so I think that um, families are coming into the um, uh, the treatment equation with a much um, more realistic um, sense of what they're up against. And, and um, so sort of that, that 30 day residential treatment stay isn't, they're, they're not looking at it as a, as, as a silver bullet. That may be required, but that is the, the first step um, in the process. Um, you know, and, and it, so, so really the answer to your question of, you know, should, should treatment centers build out um, a full continuum of care? I'm a firm believer in, you know, not necessarily. Um, you know, I, I think that, um, uh, you know, typically a bad treatment center will tell you they can do everything. And I think that, you know, a, a lot of times our quality is defined by what we refuse to do. Um, so there are, there are <clears throat> pure play residential programs out there that said, you know, I'm, we're going to bring, we're going to bring patients in, we're going to detox them, we're going to stabilize them through that residential component, component of treatment, and then we're going to get them to the, to the next level of care and, um, and where, you know, they can, you know, safely and effectively continue to do the work. Hmm. What about the kind of destination rehab model in and of itself? Hmm. You know, I know a lot of, a lot of centers are struggling these days, especially hmm. in Florida, Arizona, California, you know, where there's just this huge cluster. But I mean, we're even seeing some of the bigger players, like I know Elements obviously just filed for bankruptcy and um, Sovereign Health apparently hasn't been paying their employees for a couple of weeks now, hmm. you know, so there does seem to be, even though there's, as far as we can tell, the same demand for addiction treatment, there seems to be a very strong pullback from kind of destination rehab and a move towards more local um, treatment solutions. You know, do you have any comments on that? Yeah, I, I, would, I, um, I, I, I think I think that that's probably a fair um, explanation of the trend. But I think to understand. How I think you have to look look at the, at the history to understand um, how how we got here. Um, the uh, you know there were, twenty years ago there just weren't that many you know good treatment centers in the right. country. So um, you know the the you know the you know, the the Hazelins, the Betty Fords, the Karens, the you know Sierra Tucson's, they they attracted. I mean, they were they're great. They're they were great places, and they attracted uh, patients from you know all over the country. Um, so there was a a bit of a um, uh, you know assumption that if you wanted the best, you had to travel for it. Um, you know, over time. Um, you know, there the, the the field has done a, a a pretty good job of filling in in a lot of different geographies. So you know, it's no longer um, it's no longer necessary to travel. And then you um, you couple with that the uh, the negative press of some of the Florida facilities, some of the um, Texas facilities, some of the California facilities, 
and you know that that's put a damper on the on the the medical tourism as well um you know the i mean our liberation way you know where, where i am now i mean this this organization's only been around for about three years but they tapped into um a huge un, unmet need and that was um, you know, treatment for Philadelphians in Philadelphia, and um, the the demand was um, was through the roof. And yeah, that's interesting because we have know. clients that used to pull a lot of um, patients from Philadelphia area, and that has kind of dried up. You know, and I think it is because a lot of more local solutions are moving in. But but you know, uh, same thing in other big cities. Uh, you know. Uh, Ten years ago, the um, number of treatment options in New York City, which is, you know, obvious, uh, uh, arguably the the most attractive um, referral geography in the country, there there wasn't really anything locally, and every, everyone was was um, was leaving. But now there are, there are a ton of different options. Um, so, yes, I mean, I I think there is, I think there will always be a I think there will always be a um, a market for you know destination treatment, um, but uh, I know um, that uh, you know I, I know payers really would like um, uh, would like um, their insureds to you know if if appropriate you know find um, find help in their local community. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think also that, you know, with the bad press coming out of some of these places, you know, loved ones are just, they're, they're more cautious now. They would prefer that, you know, anyone that they're sending to treatment is closer to home. They just feel more confident with the center, you know, that they can stop in and check in on rather than being, you know, right. three hour flight away. So you're taking over Liberation Way now, and that's quite a bit of a change, right? So you've run these very large organizations and then moved to a much smaller facility, I'm assuming. you know, Can you talk about a little bit about the differences and why you made that change? Um, I, I, the, the difference, I mean, I think that the real difference here is that, you know, um, is that we are a, you know, we're providing a, a local solution. Um, and I, I think that, uh, you know, the, um, both, I, I was, I was very attracted to, uh, Fulcrum Equity Partners is, is the group that, that bought Liberation. And, uh, very, I was very attracted to, um, their experience and expertise in the behavioral health space. Um, and, uh, you know, really viewed, um, you know, uh, viewed them as, as great partners to, to build a, a great national company with. Um, and, you know, that's really what, what we've been embarked on. Um, but, um, you know, getting, um, I mean, Philadelphia is a great, um, a great market, um, uh, just, you know, from population density, you know, proximity to other large uh, geographic centers. Um, and uh, and I really um, I, I think that it, um, one one of the challenges that, that I've seen in, in the field is is you have this huge unmet need and you've got a, a bunch of treatment facilities with open beds and 
the those facilities aren't haven't been able to connect with the um, the folks who need their services um, and 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 you know the the result of that has been the um, the the growth of the whole you know Google AdWords marketplace the um, the uh, call center the, the lead generators that are selling um, selling uh, leads so if truly have this epidemic we have um, and we have a bunch of facilities that are um, are there have been created and are capable of dealing with the problem why aren't the two connecting right um, and, and 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 why aren't the two connecting and then now now there's this huge um, huge cost involved in getting patients into treatment and I, I hope there's no one out there that wants to make the argument that um, spending, you know, twenty-five hundred to three thousand dollars in Google advertising to get a patient into treatment is a more effective use of that money than spending the money on actual clinical services. Right. Um, and I was, you know, um, I was very impressed by. Um, the way that you know liberation way team was able to connect with the people who really need need help and um and you know that that um that connection that understanding caused them to grow um very quickly which led to some of the some of the, the challenges we've had um but you know we're now in a, we're now in a, a position where um you know, we, we are, we've quickly grown the support around our clinical programs to, to make sure that we can, you know, deliver a, um, an efficient and, uh, and, you know, clinically effective, um, uh, program, um, to, to meet, meet the need that's, that's here in this community. Mm. It's really interesting that you mentioned the get AdWords piece, because I've always kind of been against that model just because as you said the expense has been ridiculous i mean you said 2500 to 3000 but i mean i know centers that were paying seven thousand dollars in admit <laughs> you know off of admin right, yeah, yeah. Um, and i think what i often feel is that the field or the industry um, just got really spoiled they got really used to immediate results which is just not normal in a mature business environment. And because addiction treatment has been so mature, and it really still is in some respects, um, they just had this expectation kind of grow up like I should start this marketing thing and then it should start bringing in admissions immediately. And when they didn't see it, they would give it up. So I think the better centers, what they do is they understand those long-term plays a little bit better. You know, it takes them a little bit more money up front. They don't see the results as fast. But then once you build the community relationships, you build the brand, you build the awareness in the right places with the right demographics, and you're able to build a sustainable model that's, you know, a fifth the cost, if not less sometimes. Well, you know, it's it, very, very true. Um, and, you know, the, the, the person I first worked for in this industry said to me, he said, you know, new facilities don't fail because they have a bad clinical model. They fail because they underestimate the the time that it takes 
to um, build a program and build a market for the program. So they run out of money before they, before they become successful. And, um, you know, that has its challenges, but sort of, you know, going into this from a a built to last model, um, you know, you have a really solid organization behind you by the time the, um, you know, by the time you're, you're filling, filling beds and um, with the advent of um, some of the newer models, the, um, the barriers to entry just weren't there. Um, so folks, you know, were, were able to, 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 to rush, rush into it and, um, you know, buy the referrals and that, you know, and, but, but like you said, it's, that's not, it's not going to last. And, you know, there, there are a lot of um, facilities that have been built that way and, right. and are, are really struggling. What would you say would be a realistic time frame um, for, you know, a new operator to come in and establish itself and, and start kind of being profitable in the space, just as a, you know, throwing out an estimate? Um, you know, it, it really depends on the, the people you, you get. Um, if um, you know the the you know there, there's definitely been a model over the last few years where um, you know folks view this as um, as as just an investment and they they um, or perhaps they own a piece of real estate and view uh, the treatment um, field as a just a you know higher use of their real estate they can make make more money off off their real estate um and it's great to have a a great piece of real estate it's great to have a lot of money but if you don't have um, a management team that has the experience um in this field it's really tough to do yeah um so on that, I mean, you know, would you, if if you were talking to someone else that was looking for mentorship, you know, what would you tell them to set their expectations as? You know, you should you should be looking at six months to a year, maybe longer. You know, what would be real? No, I mean, I think I think I, I, I think it's it's I think it's at least eighteen months to get. Um, you know, I think that um, I think that even even the best outreach people in this in this business. Um, you know, if they, if they switch, um, switch facilities, it's at least 12 months for them to become productive to, you know, bring in, bring business in. And, and, um, and so if it's a new facility, it's going to be, if it's a new facility, no one knows about, it's going to be even longer. Right. Yeah, I think that's really hard, you know, for a lot of centers to be like, well, geez, it's going to take me 12 months to train this new person up. <laughs> but that's the reality because they have to rebuild the relationship, right? Right. right. You know, and and, and I think, I think like, and I think that places that are really struggling, um, they'll, they'll, they'll hire, they'll hire people and hope they make it in, um, you know, hope, hope they become productive and, in 90 days. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, but, but it's just, it's just a desperation move. Yeah. 
Yeah, we see it constantly. You know, I mean, business, any business, whether it's addiction treatment or something else, it's all about building trust and relationships, right? And from a marketing background, you know, I often have to tell our clients that what we're trying to do is we're trying to build trust at scale in a way that, you know, drives business actionable behavior. And so many people look at it as just pure conversion. It's like, well, what do I need to do? What process, what formula do I need to follow you know, to get person to take an X action? Well, you can't build trust that fast, right? So how do you do it? Sure, you can work with these people in crisis that are desperate and looking on Google at the moment, but that's a small number of the people that need treatment. And so to really tap into this large demographic of, of people that are not going to need treatment tomorrow, but might need it next week or three months from now, um, it takes a different strategy. Absolutely. So you do a lot, obviously, uh, as an executive, I always say that culture is a big part of what we do. And I think from what I've seen of your work with um, your other centers that you focus on that a lot. I know care and treatment in general focuses on um, culture a lot. So can you talk a little bit about maybe the power of culture or what you do with culture to um, drive actual organizational results? Yeah, I mean, cult culture is absolutely critical. Um, you know, I, I think you need you need to have a you need to have a strong leadership culture. You need to have the you know from your um, uh, from your ownership to your executive management team to your clinical leadership team. You know, you need to have have a, a consistent message of you know really um, you know clinical excellence, accountability. Um, and, and, you know, and, and, and stewardship of resources. Um, and, uh, it doesn't have to be much more complicated than that, than that, but it, but it has to be consistent. Hmm. Uh, okay. So kind of let's dive into some numbers a little bit, cause I know people are always interested in the numbers. So, you know, operationally as an executive, what are some numbers that you're looking at or what are maybe some ranges of numbers that you're looking at? as ideals um, when you look at things like fixed cost or cost per admit and things like that, you know, do you have benchmarks in place? Um, you know, I think, I think that is a um, very, um, you know, um, facility specific, um, you know, facility specific um, function. I mean, you know, it, it's, I think it's, uh, um, it, it can be, it can be all over the place. I mean, I think, you know, I think you need to look at, um, you know, sort of the, 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 the KPIs that I'm, you know, most, most focused on are, you know, um, they're sort of the, you know, are, what are, what, what do our admits look like, um, both from a, a, a payer quality and a, and, a, and, you know, sort of, you know, What's their time commitment? How long are they are they committed to to being here? Um, and then from a you know clinical standpoint, um, what is the uh, you know wh what's the the um, you know the 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 AMA ASA rate? Mm -hmm. um, you know because I think that that's a very good. Um, uh, very good judge of, um, of, of your clinical quality. And then if you also parse out, like, you know, you know that you've got the, the, the patients who leave on there um, and they're at, 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 
on their prerogative and then those that that you know the with staff advice discharges which are you know at our, our staff's prerogative and understand all of them i mean i, I think that um you know, as you're growing as an organization, I think the leadership needs to understand um, each of those cases and, um, you know, understand why, you know, is there something that we're not doing clinically? Um, is there something we're not, is there some type of communication in the, um, in the outreach and admissions process that we're not having with the family or the referral source that, that's causing problems later? in the in the in the in the treatment um episode and then um uh, and then also you know sort of the patient patient family and referral source um satisfaction surveys you need need to understand um you know how happy or what what the what those uh what those comments um what those comments look like um so, it, you know, those are those seem to be the best measure of the health of your treatment program. And then sort of lastly, the um, your employee turnover is, is, you know, if you if you have if you have really high um, employee turnover, it is, it is almost impossible to keep your um, clinical quality up during that, that period of time. So um, you, know, you really need to understand that as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, I think those are all good numbers to be watching around, you know, to kind of put some concreteness on it. Like if you were looking at your AMA rate, you know, what would be a number that you would say would be too high that there's, you know, this is clearly a problem versus, you know, what's kind of standard? Um, you know, it, it's got to be under 10%. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it will, it will, uh, you know, it, it will ebb and flow throughout the year. Um, but, you know, the, uh, the other, you know, um, AMAs cause other AMAs. So, yeah, right. you know, your, your clinical team really needs to be on top of it. And, um, you know, because, because if there, if there are, if there are a bunch of AMAs, it may not be those patients that are the problem. It could be another patient that, that, you know, causing, you know, folks to leave and, um, you know, sometimes it can be that, you know, the staff needs to be more proactive in, in, um, in discharging a patient that's, that's really poisoning the community. Mm -hmm. Do you do training for your clinical staff around, you know, AMAs, crisis counseling, kind of warning signs? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's more generally, um, more generally around um, counselor patient engagement. Hmm. Um, because when, you know, when a, um, a, you know, patients most likely to leave when they don't feel like they're making any progress in treatment. And, um, you know, that that's really in, incumbent upon the counselor and the clinical supervisor to identify that and, and deal with it um, you know, before it's a problem, which, you know, is, is good for the facility, facility, but it's also really important for the, the individual's treatment. Right. And then on the, you know, um, family, uh, patient satisfaction end, you know, what would you be looking for as a red flag, uh, if the scores were getting too low or are there any particular comments that you watch out for? Um, 
you know, you, you can end up getting a, um, a, a, ne a negative review where um, the clinicians are, are really doing their work. And it may just be that they're, you know, pushing the family or the patient harder than the, than they're, they're willing to be pushed at that, that particular point of time. But, you know, I, I, you know, um, when, when the, when the complaint is something sort of ex, extraneous to, um, to treatment, like, you know, I didn't, um, I didn't like the food or I didn't, you know, the, the, um, uh, the, the van driver, you know, sure. talked to, talked about something inappropriate or something like that. Those, those are distractions to the treatment process that as a, as a leader of one of these organizations, you really need to make sure um, you eliminate as many of those as possible. Um, you know, when, when, uh, when, when patients are here, they need to be focused on treatment, not um, distracted by, you know, something they sh shouldn't be worried about. Well, that totally makes sense. So, you know, as we kind of finish up here, I think, you know, we've talked a lot about some smaller providers looking to grow, you know, do you have any final advice for them saying, okay, you know, what can I do to make sure that my center stays viable and not just stays viable, but actually maybe I can expand continual care, additional, uh, you know, um, I, I believe that, um, you know, investing in your staff is your best, your best path to growth. Um, you know, uh, I, I've, I've heard um, managers describe it as as a, as a, as a sports team. That you know, if um, if there's if there's a if there's a, um, a a better if there's a better counselor out there that's that's willing to come and work come to work for you. I think you know we owe it to our patients to get that person on board and you know perhaps cancel out the, the lowest performer. Um, you know, so, so if you, if you look at, at, at um, you know, constantly trying to upgrade uh, the quality of your staff, um, you know, a, a, a top, top notch, and, and you can't, you can't just hire a top notch staff. They're, you know, they're, they're just not out there, but it, I think that leaders who are intentional about building a really great team um, will um, will have you know opportunities for for growth, new programming, etc. And you know, and if you don't um, if you don't work on uh, on growing your team, you're, you're not going to have any of those opportunities. Well, it's really great advice, Drew. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. I know things are busy. Uh, if people out there want to get in touch with Liberation Way, you know, what would be the best route to do that? Um, our website is uh, liberationway.com. Um, you know, the uh, phone number is 877-636-9322. Um, you know, for, you know, particularly for folks in the, uh, in Philadelphia and the sort of greater Delaware Valley, um, you know, we're here. We're here to help. Um, give us a call. 
fantastic. Again, thank you so much for coming on. I know that everyone finds the information super valuable. Uh, again, this is Nick Jaworski, the Recovery Executive Podcast here, brought to you by Circle Social Inc., uh, experts in growth for addiction treatment, behavioral health. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, anywhere that podcasts are found. Uh, thank you guys so much, and enjoy connecting with you next time.